Welcome to the Right Brain Podcast with me, Leela Krishna. We're reading the novel Anandamath or The Sacred Brotherhood written by Bankim Chandra Chatterjee. Sign up at leela.substack.com That's L-I-L-A dot S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com to get these episodes delivered straight to your inbox. In last week's episode, Satyananda, the ascetic who rescued Kalyani, tells his trusted man Bhavananda to find Mohendra and bring him safely to the monastery. Mohendra is taken prisoner by a retinue of sepoys transporting tax money to Calcutta. Coincidentally, so is Bhavananda. Eventually, the retinue comes across Jeevananda, yet another of the monks who has 200 men with him to waylay the retinue and take the tax money. Mohendra is disgusted and begins to leave, but Bhavananda tells him he can take him to see his wife and child. What happens next? Listen on for episode 4 of Anandamat, The Sacred Brotherhood. Silently in the moonlit night, the two crossed the open country. Mohendra was silent, sorrowful, full of pride, but also a little curious. Suddenly, Bhavananda's whole aspect changed. No longer was he the ascetic, serious of aspect, calm of mood. No longer the skillful fighter, the heroic figure of the man who had beheaded the English captain with a sweep of a sword. No longer had he the aspect with which even now he had proudly rebuked Mahendra. It was as if the sight of the beauty of plain and forest, river and numerous streams, all the moonlit peaceful earth had stirred in his heart with a great gladness. It was as if ocean were laughing in the moonbeams. Bhavananda became smiling, eloquent, courteous of speech. He grew very eager to talk and made many efforts to open a conversation. But Mohendra would not speak. Then Bhavananda, having no other resource, began to sing to himself. One day, Mataram, Mother, I bow to thee. Rich with thy hurrying streams, bright with thy orchard gleams, Cool with thy winds of delight, dark fields waving, mother of might. One day, Mataram. The song astonished Mahendra, and he could understand nothing of it. Who might be this richly watered, richly fruited mother, cool with delightful winds and dark with the harvests? What mother? he asked. Bhavananda, without any answer, continued his song. Glory of moonlit dreams, over thy beaches and lordly streams. Clad in thy blossoming trees, Mother, giver of ease, Laughing low and sweet, Mother, I kiss thy feet, Speaker, sweet and low, Mother, to thee I bow. Mahendra said, That is the country, It is not the mother. Bhavananda replied, We recognize no other mother, Mother and motherland is more than heaven itself. We say the motherland is our mother. We have neither mother, nor father, nor brother, nor friend, wife, nor son, nor house, nor home. We have her alone, this richly watered, richly fruited, cool with delightful winds, rich with harvests. Then Mohendra understood and said, Sing it again. Bhavananda sang once more. One day, Mataram, Mother, I bow to thee. Rich with thy hurrying streams, Bright with thy orchard gleams, Cool with thy winds of delight, Dark fields waving, Mother of might, Mother free. One day, Mataram, Glory of moonlit dreams, 
over thy beaches and lordly streams. Clad in thy blossoming trees, Mother, giver of ease, Laughing low and sweet, Mother, I kiss thy feet. Speaker sweet and low, Mother, to thee I bow. Who hath said thou art weak in thy lands, When the swords flash out in seventy million hands, And seventy million voices roar, Thy dreadful name from shore to shore. With many strengths who are mighty and stored, To thee I call, Mother and Lord. Thou who savest, arise and save, To her I cry who her foemen drave, Back from plain and sea and shook herself free. Thou art wisdom, thou art law, Thou our heart, our soul, our breath, Thou the love divine, The awe in our hearts that conquers death. Thine the strength that nerves the arm, Thine the beauty, thine the charm. Every image made divine in our temples Is but thine. Thou art Durga, lady and queen, With her hands that strike and her swords of sheen. Thou art Lakshmi, lotus-throned, And the muse a hundred-toned. Pure and perfect, without peer, Mother, lend thine ear. Rich with thy hurrying streams, Bright with thy orchard gleams, Dark of you, O candid fair, In thy soul, with jewelled hair, And thy glorious smile divine, Loveliest of all earthly lands, Showering wealth from well-stored hands, Mother, mother mine, Mother sweet, I bow to thee, Mother, great and free, One day, Mataram. Mohindra saw the robber, As he sang, shedding tears. In wonder he asked, Who are you? Bhavananda replied, we are the children, the Santan. What is meant by Santan? asked Mahendra. Whose children are you? Bhavananda replied, The children of the mother. Good, said Mahendra. Do the children worship their mother with theft and looting? What kind of filial piety is this? We do not even loot, answered Bhavananda. Why, just now you plundered the carts? Is that theft and looting? Whose money did we plunder? Why, the rulers. <laughs> the rulers. What right has he to the money that he should take it? It is his royal share of the wealth of the country. Who rules and does not protect his kingdom? Is he a ruler at all? I see you will be blown one day from the cannon's mouth by the sepoys. I have seen your rascal sepoys more than once. I dealt with some today too. Oh, that was not a real experience of them. One day you will get it. Suppose so. A man can only die once. But what profit is there in going out of one's way to die? Mohendra Singha, said Bhavananda, I had a kind of idea that you were a man worth the name. Now I see you are what all the rest of them are. The snake crawls on the ground and is the lowest of living things. But put your foot on the snake's neck and even he will rise with lifted hood. Can nothing overthrow your patience then? Look at all the countries you know. Magad, Mithila, Kashi, Kanchi, Delhi, Kashmir. In what other country do men from starvation eat grass, eat thorns, eat the earth white ants have gathered, eat the creepers of the forest? Where else are men forced to eat dogs and jackals, yes, even the bodies of the dead? Where else can men have no ease of heart because of fear for the money in their chests, the household gods in their sacred seats, the young women in their homes, 
the unborn children in the women's wombs. They rip open the womb and tear out the child. In every country, the relation with the ruler is that of protector and protected. But what protection do our rulers give us? Our religion is destroyed, our honor polluted, our family honor shamed, and now our very lives are going the same way. Unless we drive out these wise besodden longbeards, we are doomed. How will you drive them out? asked Mahendra. By blows. You will drive them out single-handed, with one slap, I suppose. The robber sang, Who hath said thou art weak in thy lands, when the swords flash out in seventy million hands, and seventy million voices roar, thy dreadful name from shore to shore? But, said Mahendra, I see you are alone. Why, just now you saw two hundred men. Are they all Santan? They are all Santan. How many more are there of them? Thousands like these, and by degrees there will yet be more. Even if there were ten or twenty thousand, will you be able to take the throne from the Nawab? What army had the English at Plassey? Can Englishmen and Bengalis be compared? Why not? What does physical strength matter? Greater physical strength will not make the bullet fly farther. Then, asked Mahindra, why is there such a difference between the Englishman and the Nawab's man? An Englishman, said Bhavananda, will not run away even from the certainty of death. A Nawab's man runs as soon as he perspires and roams in search of a glass of sherbet. Next, the Englishman has tenacity. If he takes up a thing, he carries it through. Don't care is the motto of the Nawab's man. He is giving his life for a hire and yet the soldiers don't get their pay. The last thing is courage. A cannonball can fall only in one place, not in ten, so there is no necessity for two hundred men to run from one cannonball. But one cannonball will send all of the Nawab's men running, while a whole clan of cannonballs will not put even a solitary Englishman to flight. Have you all these virtues? asked Mohendra. No, said Bhavananda. But virtues don't fall from the nearest tree. You have to practice them. Do you practice them? Do you not see we are sannyasis? It is for this practice that we have made renunciation. When our work is done, when our training is complete, we shall again become householders. We also have wives and daughters. Will you be one of the Santan? Until I get news of my wife and daughter, said Mohendra, I cannot say anything. Come then, you will see your wife and child. The two went on their way and Bhavananda again began to sing Mande Matram. Mahendra had a good voice and was fond of singing. Therefore, he joined in the song and found that as he sang, the tears came to his eyes. Mahendra said, If I have not to abandon my wife and daughter, then initiate me into this vow. Whoever takes this vow, answered Bhavananda, must abandon wife and child. If you take this vow, you cannot be allowed to meet your wife and daughter. Suitable arrangements will be made for their protection, but until the vow is crowned with success, to look upon their faces is forbidden. I will not take your vow, answered Mahendra. The day had dawned, that unpeopled forest so long dark and silent, now grew full of light, blissful for the cooing and calling of the birds. In that delightful dawn, 
that joyous forest, that Anandamot, the monastery of bliss. Satyananda, seated on a deerskin, was performing his morning devotions. Jeevananda sat near. It was at such a time that Bhavananda appeared with Mahindra Singha behind. The ascetic, without a word, continued his devotions and no one ventured to utter a sound. When the devotions were finished, Bhavananda and Jeevananda saluted him and with humility seated themselves after touching his feet. Then Satyananda beckoned to Bhavananda and took him outside. What conversation took place between them, we do not know, but on the return of the two to the temple, the ascetic, with compassion and laughter in his countenance, said to Mahendra, My son, I have been greatly distressed by your misfortune. It was only by the grace of Krishna that I was able to rescue your wife and daughter last night. The ascetic then told Mahendra the story of Kalyani's rescue and said at the end, Come, let me take you where they are. The ascetic led Mahendra into the inner precincts of the temple. Mahendra beheld a wide and lofty hall. Even in this cheerful dawn, glad with the youth of the morning, when the neighbouring groves glittered in the sunshine as if set and studded with diamonds, in this great room there was almost a gloom as of night. Mohendra could not at first see what was in the room, but by gazing and gazing and still gazing, he was able to distinguish a huge image of the four-armed Vishnu bearing the shell, the discus, the club, the lotus blossom, adorned with the jewel Kaustubha on his breast. In front, the discus called Sudarshana the Beautiful seemed visibly to be whirling round. Two huge headless images representing Madhu and Kethab were painted before the figure as if bathed in their own blood. On the left stood Lakshmi with flowing locks garlanded with wreaths of hundred-petal lotuses as if distressed with fear. On the right stood Saraswati surrounded by books, musical instruments, the incarnate strains and symphonies of music. On Vishnu's lap sat an image of enchanting beauty, lovelier than Lakshmi and Saraswati, more splendid with opulence and lordship. The Gandharva and Kinara and god and elf and giant paid her homage. The ascetic asked Mahendra in a voice of deep solemnity and awe, Can you see all? Yes, replied Mahendra. Have you seen what is in the lap of Vishnu? asked the ascetic. Yes, answered Mahendra. Who is she? It is the mother. What mother? She whose children we are, replied the ascetic. Who is she? In time you will recognize her. Say hail to the mother, Vande Mataram. Now come, you will see. The ascetic took Mahendra to another room. There he saw an image of Jagadatri, protectress of the world, wonderful, perfect, rich with every ornament. Who is she? asked Mahendra. The Brahmacharan replied, The mother as she was. What is that? asked Mahendra. She trampled underfoot the elephants of the forest and all wild beasts, and in the haunt of the wild beasts she erected her lotus throne. She was covered with every ornament, full of laughter and beauty. She was in hue like the young sun, splendid with all opulence and empire. Bow down to the mother. Mohindra saluted reverently the image of the motherland as the protectress of the world. The Brahmacharan then showed him a dark underground passage and said, Come by this way. Mohindra, with some alarm, followed him. In a dark room in the bowels of the earth, an insufficient light entered from some unperceived outlet. By that faint light, he saw an image of Kali. The Brahmacharan said, Look on the mother as she is now. Mohendra said in fear, It is Kali. 
Yes, Kali enveloped in darkness, full of blackness and gloom. She is stripped of all, therefore naked. Today the whole country is a burial ground. Therefore is the mother garlanded with skulls. Her own god she tramples under her feet. Alas, my mother. The tears began to stream from the ascetic's eyes. Why has she in her hands the club and skull? asked Mahendra. We are the Santan. We have only just given weapons into our mother's hands. Say Vande Mataram. Hail to the mother. Mahendra said Vande Mataram and bowed down to Kali. The ascetic said, Come by this way and began to ascend another underground passage. Suddenly the rays of the morning sun shone in their eyes and from every side the sweet-voiced family of birds shrilled in song. In a wide temple built of marble, they saw a beautifully fashioned image of the ten-armed goddess made in gold, laughing and radiant in the light of the early sun. The ascetic saluted the image and said, This is the mother as she shall be. Her ten arms are extended towards the ten regions and they bear many a force imaged in her manifold weapons. Her enemies are trampled under her feet and the lion on which her foot rests is busy destroying her foe. Behold her with the regions for her arms. As he spoke, Satyananda began to sob. With the regions for her arms, wielder of manifold weapons, trampler down of her foes with a lion heart for the steed of her riding. On her right, Lakshmi is prosperity. On her left, speech, giver of learning and science. Kartikeya with her as strength, Ganesha as success. Come, let us both bow down to the mother. Both with lifted faces and folded hands began to cry with one voice. O oh, auspicious with all well-omened things, O oh, thou ever propitious, who effectest all desire, O refuge of men, three-eyed and fair of hue, O energy of Narayan, salutation to thee. The two men bowed down with awe and love, and when they rose, Mahendra asked in a broken voice, When shall I see this image of the mother? When all the mother's sons learn to call the mother by that name. On that day, the mother will be gracious to us. Suddenly, Mahendra asked, Where are my wife and daughter? Come said the ascetic. You shall see them. I wish to see them once and say farewell. Why should you say farewell? I shall take up this mighty vow. Where will you send them to? Mohendra thought for a little and then said, There is no one in my house and I have no other place. Yet in this time of famine, what other place can I find? Go out of the temple by the way by which you came here, said the ascetic. At the door of the temple, you will see your wife and child. Up to this moment, Kalyani has eaten nothing. You will find food in the place where they are sitting. When you have made her eat, do whatever you please. At present, you will not again meet any of us. If this mind of yours holds, at the proper time, I shall show myself to you. Then suddenly, by some path unknown, the ascetic vanished from the place. Mohendra went forth by the way pointed out to him and saw Kalyani with her daughter sitting in the court of meeting. Satyananda on his side descended by another underground passage into a secret cellar under the earth. There, Jeevananda and Bhavananda sat counting rupees and arranging them in piles. In that room, gold, silver, copper, diamonds, coral, pearls were arrayed in heaps. It was the money looted on the previous night they were arranging. Satyananda, as he entered the room, said, Jeevananda, Mahendra will come to us. 
If he comes, it will be a great advantage to the Santan. For in that case, the wealth accumulated in his family from generation to generation will be devoted to the mother's service. But so long as he is not body and soul devoted to the mother, do not take him into the order. As soon as the work you have in hand is completed, follow him at various times, and when you see it is the proper season, bring him to the temple of Vishnu. And in season or out of season, protect their lives, for even as the punishment of the wicked is the duty of the Santan, so is the protection of the good equally their duty. That was episode 4 of Anandamat. Here's some context for this episode. Mir Zafar, the Nawab at this point, was the first Nawab of Bengal who was a vassal of the British. The British fought the previous Nawab, Siraju Dawla, at Plassey in 1757 and won despite having only a few hundred soldiers. Because among other reasons, Mir Zafar, Siraju Dawla's commander, betrayed him. Mir Zafar went on to be Nawab handing over revenue collection to the British. The British then went on to use the Bengal army to conquer other areas of India. The song that Bhavananda sings is Vande Mataram, which is now the national song of India. This book was where the song made its debut. It went on to become a battle cry for India's independence. Subsequently, the British banned the book and made it a criminal offence to sing the song. You can listen to a beautiful version of it arranged by A.R. Rahman for the 50th anniversary of India's independence. Link in the description. I encourage you to sing along as well. Anandamath was written by Bankim Chandra Chatterjee, translated into English by Sri Aurobindo and Borin Ghosh, and narrated by Leela Krishna. Sign up at leela.substack.com That's L-I-L-A dot S-U-P-S-T-A-C-K dot com to get these episodes delivered straight to your inbox.